on episode 525 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Ellen Albertson and discuss her book, Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 525. you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness the 40 plus fitness podcast is here for you each week we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40 i'm alan meisner i'm an nsam certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise behavior change and fitness nutrition a fai certified functional aging specialist and an ota level 2 online trainer I'm joined each week by our co-host, Rachel Everett. She is an NASN certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. Hello, and thank you for being a part of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast. Rachel and I actually did record uh, some sections for this episode before she went on vacation to Pensacola. But unfortunately, my internet connection was a little wonky. Uh, so the file was very poppy, and I didn't really feel like it was something we could use. So unfortunately, we're not going to have Rachel on the show this week, uh, but she'll be back next week, I promise. Uh, but I did want to give a couple pieces of news. Um, I've been on a couple of other podcasts recently, and I wanted to give you a link to get to those podcasts. Uh, the first one was a show called Thriving Through Menopause with Clarissa Chris Jensen. And you can find that at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash Clarissa. That's C-L-A-R-I-S-S-A, -S -S Clarissa. 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash Clarissa. And you can access that episode where I was on her podcast. Uh, we talk about men and dealing with menopause. Uh, even though men don't go through menopause, uh, we need to be there for our significant others and the people in our lives. So I do feel like menopause is a very important topic for men to understand. Um, and we get into a couple fitness-related things around menopause. Uh, also, I was on, recently on the Susan Bender Show. Brenda Show. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash Brenda. That's B-R-E-N-D-E-R. So 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash Brenda. And you can hear my episode on the Susan Brenda Show. Uh, she had me on with a physical therapist that she knows. And the two of us talked about rehab. We talked about dealing with injuries and dealing with things when you're over 40 and how you have to train and you know, in some cases, uh, mitigate some damage differently when you're in your 40s than you would when you were in your 20s. So it's a really good episode to hear uh, both me and the physical therapist talking uh, about physical therapy and uh, function as a personal trainer. And then finally, uh, Rachel and I have decided we want to try to do a Q&A episode. So if you have a question that you've been wanting to ask or wanting me to answer or wanting uh, Rachel to answer, it can be health, fitness, uh, so lifting, running, any of that, uh, you can message me, alan at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com. Just go ahead and send me an email, alan at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com, and give me a brief idea of what your question is, and then we can either have me read the email 
online, or we can get you on a recording session and you can ask your, your question and be recorded for the show that we're putting together. So if you have a question you'd like to ask either Rachel or me, go to alan at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com. Send, send a message there anyway. Anyway, with no further ado, let's, let's get into the show. Our guest today is a psychologist, registered dietitian nutritionist, National Board Certified Health and Wellness Coach, and a mindful self-compassion teacher. Known as the Midlife Whisperer, she helps women raise their vibration so they can have the energy, confidence, and clarity to make the next chapter their best chapter. An author, inspirational speaker, and expert on women's well-being, she has appeared on Extra, The Food Network, and NBC World News, and has been quoted in Psychology Today, Eating Well, and USA Today. She has written five books and articles for Self, Better Homes and Gardens, and Good Housekeeping. She brings over 25 years of counseling, coaching, and healing experience to holistic practice of transformational work. With no further ado, here's Dr. Ellen Albertson. Dr. Ellen, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you, Ellen. It is so awesome to be here. Yeah, you know, as you got into your story uh, and some of the things that you've done, it's really kind of fascinating because you uh, I'm not going to say there's parallels in our lives, but it's like you were a fitness trainer and then you kind of went on and started doing coaching and, and doing a lot of things online and offline and just kind of building a practice, if you will. Uh, your book is called Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. And I like the title well enough, but there was just, there was a quote in the book. And, and I have to, I have to read this quote out loud because this is, this is pretty fascinating and, and really touched me in a way that I'm like, okay, this is what, this is why I do what I do. And it's this at midlife, you're gifted with an entire second adulthood to know and love yourself on a deeper level, to figure out who you are and what you want. And I just thought that's magic that that's, if, if people would wrap their mind around that one quote, their, 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 their midlife, the after midlife, the after 50, after 40 age, suddenly they're like, Hey, this isn't a downward thing I'm facing. This is an opportunity. I love that you started with that quote from my book and thank you. I'm glad it touched you because you were sharing a little bit of your story. And I think we're both finding that I'm having a gas. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 60 and I feel fabulous. Why it's so important that there are people like yourself who are telling people, this is how you can be healthy. I've met so many people who are at the healthiest in their forties, their fifties, even their sixties. And then deciding, you know, who do I want to be when I grow up? Because I know my story. And I think a lot of us, we were like climbing this ladder of success, but it was up against the wrong friggin' building. You know, you're clawing your way up, you're sweating, you hate going to work every day. And what you can do at midlife is take everything that you've learned, really get to know yourself, what you love to do, what your talents are, the genius you're here to share with the world and create an incredible next chapter. I think that's what we're really here to say. And we're changing the face of midlife. It's not about crisis. It is about difficulty transformation often with people, but you can really create an amazing, you know, 20, 30 decades. Yeah. You know, as, as I got into my journey, cause I was in my, I, I was in my early late thirties when I realized I had a, a massive imbalance in my life. And, you know, I was so focused on career that, you know, my, my relationships were sour. My family life was sour. My everything else in my life, fitness and health, everything else was like, I was just not even scoring, you know, zeros across the board. And then 
career, 100. And I'm like, so this, this is not working for me. Uh, but it took me about eight years of, of hit and miss trying this. And I realized one of the problems that I had the whole time through was that I was, I was focused on an outcome of weight loss, thinking that was the kind of what I needed to do. And I think most of us approach this problem of midlife <laughs> of, of it, it's weight loss. And, and so I like most of my clients, they'll say, Hey, I, I, I need to lose weight. But the reality of it is that's a byproduct or uh, a side effect of you actually just getting your life in order. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause you brought up that concept in here is that we're focusing on the wrong problem. Right. The reason we focus on weight, honestly, is it's such a specific, easy metric to look at. Like, how do you measure happiness? Right. Like, that's really subjective. Weight, you get on the scale and people are like, wow, I lost 10 pounds. I feel good about myself. But as you said, when, you know, and I have a lot of clients coming to me too, the first thing they want to do is lose weight. And we start with looking at their life because the reason that they're having that threesome with Ben and Jerry's or that, Chardonnay, um, you know, cheddar cheese habit in the evening is because they're not enjoying their lives. And so by the time five, six o'clock hits, cocktail hour is like the thing that makes them feel good. So, you know, during the day, we're experiencing so much stress, especially right now with so much uncertainty and the pandemic still happening. So what happens is we get these cortisol rushes all day long. All cortisol is the hormone of fight and flight. So we're feeling stressed out. We're feeling tired. We're not very happy. And rather than seeing, okay, what do I need to do to manage my stress, to create a life that I love, to find purpose and meaning, we're leaning into dopamine. Dopamine is the chemical of reward. It's the you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, food, alcohol, gambling, shopping, all of those kinds of things. And so again, like with weightless, it's easy. We lean into the dopamine. I'll just have this, you know, threesome with Ben and Jerry's instead of looking at my life and going, okay, what's not working? What do I need to feel more fulfilled? And so when I start to work with people, it's so interesting. We start to work from the inside out, the self-talk, the self-compassion, um, the self-care, you know, care, all of these things about treating yourself well and feeling like you're enough. And then come five, six o'clock, they're not interested in, you know, the food because they're feeling good. They're feeling energized all day and they're giving themselves what they need throughout the day. So, but again, I think we're leaning into weight because we think that that's the solution. And I think there's so much um, in the media about, you know, these quick weight loss solutions, you'll feel good about yourself. Um, and particularly for women, our self-worth is so much based on our appearance. So when we're happier, we don't feel confident. We don't feel very good about ourselves. But, you know, I also tell people too, that weight needs to be um, an outcome, not the goal, because we don't have control of our weight. I've seen people, I'm sure you have as well, who are eating right, who are moving their bodies and the scale isn't budging. They've hit a plateau. And what happens is if we make weight the focus of our journey, when the scale doesn't go down, even when we've been doing the lifestyle change, we feel bad about ourselves. And then we're just like, screw it. I'm going to go ahead and just eat whatever I want. So you get in this vicious cycle of beating yourself up and being good and then not good. And I just work with my clients. It's just like, get rid of the diet books, get rid of the weight mentality, and let's focus on health and happiness. Yeah. I, I remember going to the gym when I was actually doing things right. And so, you know, about every third day or so I would be on the elliptical uh, just, you know, just burning up a sweat, doing some hit training or something like that. And there was this one woman and she'd been coming in there for 
roughly the same amount of time I had. She'd been in there five, six months. And every day she came in and got on the elliptical and just killed herself for the whole hour and a half I was in the gym. And so one day I'm finishing up my hit training. It's you know 20 minutes and then I'm done. And she just says, what are you doing? And you know, you're losing weight. You lost a lot of weight uh, over the course of the last you know little bit of time. And I said, well, I, I stopped actually paying attention to weight. I, I actually started paying attention to other things and, and, and things I enjoy doing and making myself be myself. And you have a seven step program that is in a big part, I think kind of the, I stumbled into it. It took me eight years. Uh, someone now can buy your book, Rocket Midlife, uh, and you pretty much have given them seven direct steps that will take them the same path. Can you, can you talk about the seven steps and briefly what each step does? Yes. And I went through it myself too. So I've lived it. I've lived it with my clients. So I didn't just get there overnight, but the first step is authenticity. And authenticity is so important because if you don't know yourself and if you're not being authentic, there's no way that you can create a midlife, a next chapter that's going to feel fulfilling and good for you. Because if you're being someone else, if you're wearing a mask, if you're trying to live someone else's story or agenda, you're going to keep running into those walls. Why don't I feel good? Why am I not enjoying my life? So what I do is I take people through, this is stuff that I've worked on you know, through my PhD and through years of working with positive psychology, lots of journaling questions and prompts people can ask, lots of various um, tests that people can take. Like a lot of uh, my clients, I have them take the uh, VRA test, uh, which is a test that looks at various character strengths. It's free. You can get it online to really see what am I really good at? What do I really love to do? What have I always been curious about? What did I want to be when I was a kid? And sort of just really getting to know yourself, just like you would get to know a good friend. I think a lot of people don't really take the time to sit, figure out what do I love to do? Like for me, I, I you know had an older sister who is a very accomplished musician and artist. So I kind of um, didn't do that in my own life, but I was always, always wanted to do more art, more music. So I just bought a ukulele. I just got myself, you know, some pencils and I'm drawing and rediscovering these kind of very parts of ourselves. So the first step is authenticity, really get to know who are you. And it's also about embracing your flaws. You know, we're not all good at everything and figuring out what am I really good at? What do I need some help? What do I love to do? What lights me up? And it's a really great initial breadcrumb on this quest to make an amazing next chapter. So that's step one. Step two is to love yourself and really learn to treat yourself like you would a good friend. And this I grew from my um, studies of self-compassion, which um, I was fortunate enough to study with a woman named Kristen Neff. It's kind of the pioneer in this area. A lot of people like question, you know, how do you love yourself? And this self-compassion is really the how of loving yourself. And so it's really all about learning to treat yourself like you would a good friend. And I have a lot of, um, when I start working with people, I have them, you know, think about it. when a friend that you love goes through something, how do you treat yourself? I'm sorry, how do you treat them? And then how do you treat yourself when you go through something? And the whole idea is to start to put yourself in those sort of befriending shoes or pretend that you had a wise friend and, and ask, how would, uh, how would um, she treat me? And then do that thing. So that's step two. Loving yourself is such a game changer because 
when you love yourself, you attract what's in your best interest. So you, you know, you go to the gym, not because you're punishing yourself, but because you want to be healthy. You know, you want to have a healthy life. Personally, I love to exercise. I don't know where we got on this whole bandwagon of exercise as punishment. I woke up this morning and I went cross-country skiing first thing in the morning. It was a blast. So you start to eat right, take care of your body, get in relationships that are positive, do more things that light you up because you love and care about yourself. So that was a, it was a game changer for me. I'm curious, have you practice much self-compassion and for men, it's kind of a different yeah. well, ball of wax. It was. And, and I'm going to say this word. And if, if, if it bothers you, if there's kids cover their ears, but I literally thought of myself as a fat bastard. That was, that was literally oh. the words that were in my head, you know, as I was going through the beginning of my journey. And that was the wake up. The wake up was, you know, one, who am I? And I, I woke up, I was actually, um, I was hung over and I was in Malaysia and I've been working on this for eight years of this and that, and then just failing over and over. I was back in the same spot. And I just remember waking up and thinking, why, why can't I do this? Because I'm, I'm so good at everything that I have ever wanted to do. I wanted to be good at football in high school. I was good at football. I tried out for the tennis team. I made the tennis team. I, I, you know, in, in college and high school, if I wanted to make a grade, I made the grade. If I wanted to pass a test, I passed the test. You know, when I wanted to get a job, I got the job. Uh, I almost had no failure because, and I was like, why am, why did that always happen? And then it's not happening in this facet of my life. What, what is, what is different? And then I realized I woke up, I'm like, nothing's different. The only difference is I'm not treating myself well and I'm not committed. And if I were committed, I would treat myself like someone I love. And, and the way I kind of equated is if you told your spouse that you were going to be at the airport at five o'clock in the morning to pick them up, guess where you are at five o'clock in the morning. And if you treated your spouse the way you treat yourself, you always do that. You never do that. You know, if you use those words, you can't do anything right, which you're saying in your head to yourself. But if you ever said that to your spouse, you're probably facing a fight or a divorce. We can't divorce ourselves. So if we really think about self-compassion and love, then we stop using those words. We catch ourselves when we're doing it. And we say, I would never, ever say that to a friend. And if a friend ever said that to me, it would really hurt my feelings. So as soon as you can start getting past those words, then you can open up to the possibilities of who you're really supposed to be. And that's where we get to the next few steps where you're talking about getting energy and reprogramming and empowering yourself and, and doing those things. But until you get past this point, because I think, in my opinion, the self-love, self-compassion piece, you have to do this step. You yeah, it all, <laughs> yeah it all, and it's a beautiful story. And it all starts with that self-talk. And the interesting thing is that self-critic, as you said, at the, you know, the, the fat, I think you said the fat bastard, yeah. right? That's, um, we develop that inner self-talk before we're 10 years old. We ha- develop this inner critic because, you know, our, our caregivers criticize us, right? They tell us to, you know, finish everything in our plate and keep our room clean and get good grades. And if we don't do these things, we are in danger of not being loved and cared for. So when we get to be adults, we internalize this voice of our early caregivers, that inner critic becomes very real in our lives. And we think, and this is an interesting thing that I realized in so much of my research, is that we think that we need the inner critic to motivate us, like you said, to get on the tennis team and to get that job and be successful at work. 
But the research really shows that the self-criticism actually undermines motivation because when you criticize yourself, you shut yourself down, you generate cortisol, you feel bad about yourself. Whereas with self-compassion, we want to do those things because we want to be happy. And it actually, self-compassion is very energizing. And unlike self-esteem, which for a long time, psychologists really emphasize self-esteem, self-compassion actually is not contingent on anything. You can love yourself and support yourself regardless of how well you do, you know, at the gym, at your job. It's a, it's a muscle that you can build that constantly grows. So that's why it's such a focal point of my work and the book that if you don't love yourself, you can't create a next great chapter. And so it, and it really comes down to being kind to yourself rather than critical to be mindful when you're struggling and suffering. So to stop and notice and say, oh my gosh, I'm having a tough time right now, particularly the kind of days that we've had. I've talked to so many clients and friends who have had so many losses. And with COVID, it's been really difficult, um, extra, extra challenging to stop and say, what do I need right now? And to treat yourself like a good friend. And also to understand this concept of common humanity, that we all make mistakes, we all fail. It's part of the human condition. So I'm so glad that you have been discovering this yourself. Oh, yeah. So now the next, the third step you, you have is, is about energizing yourself. Right. So if you want to have a next great chapter, you've got to take care of your body. So in this chapter, I really just summarize my 30-some years in the health and wellness field. So diet, it's not complicated. The media wants you to think that you have to go on some crazy diet and eat really weird foods or cut certain things out, but it really comes down to eating more plants. So really, personally, I try to get between you know seven and 10 servings of plant foods every single day. Plants are so important. They help to reduce inflammation if you are trying to lose weight. Plants contain fiber, which is the part of the plant that we don't digest. They fill you up without filling you out. If you're going through menopause, those plant fibers can help you with menopause symptoms. And it's really in my work, I've really found if people add more plants in, it crowds out other things. So, so eat more plants. Don't eat anything your grandmother wouldn't have eaten. So really sticking to you know whole foods, foods that aren't processed, staying away from things like um, added chemicals, added sugar. And then eat until you are um, satisfied, not stuffed. So if we did those three things, if we you know ate more plants, ate more whole foods, really didn't stuff ourselves, we would really be healthier and get to a healthy weight. Certainly with movement, um, I recommend at least 25 minutes a day. Um, I think at midlife, um, less is more. We still need to build muscle. You know, at midlife, uh, we start to really lose our muscle mass after 30. If people don't do strength training, their muscle mass really erodes at a very quick level. Um, it's also one thing I found so interesting in my book is that women at midlife need more protein. So the protein requirement in general is 0.8 grams per kilogram at midlife. We need one to one and a half um, grams per kilogram. So we actually need more protein to support that muscle mass. The lower estrogen levels, we think about bone loss, but we also can have muscle mass, mass loss due to the estrogen. So the, the bone building is really important. Stretching is also really important to do that with your exercise. And of course, cardio. Um, and it, as far as nutrition, D is very important. You live in Panama, so I'm sure you get plenty of D, but here where I live in Vermont, you know, I take vitamin D every day. Most people uh, living in the North are deficient in vitamin D, about 50% of people are. So it's super important for your immune system, for bone health, for even how your, your mind functions. 
And then I think rest is really important. It's so important to rest between workouts, giving your muscles time to heal and grow stronger. It's also really important to make sure that you are you know, managing stress and resting during the day and also getting seven to eight hours of good sleep. And of course, also staying hydrated. So things we've heard before, but I think again, just having um, really simple, smart goals for yourself, maybe getting an accountability buddy, hiring some help, someone like yourself who can help people, you know, get that accountability and hit the mark is so important, but taking care of your health is really important. A lot of people are just blaming it on, I'm getting old, I'm getting tired, you know, I'm gaining weight, but you really can reverse any kind of health challenge that you're experiencing at midlife. So that's number three. And number four is to reprogram your brain. So I think at midlife, you know, we do start to um, not be quite as as sharp. Um, I know myself, sometimes it's hard to remember everything. I think part of that is that our minds are so full of so many things and we're not as mindful as we could be. So we're not just focusing on just doing what we're doing um, while we're doing it. So mindfulness is really important for your brain. It's interesting to note that at midlife and at any point in your life, you're always making new neural connections. So your nervous system, your brain, your neurons are always making new connections. So if you've experienced um, you know, issues in your life, whether that's trauma, depression, memory issues, you can reprogram and rebuild your brain uh, through things like mindfulness, through taking time and you know, writing things down, which helps commit things to long-term memory, by really doing more of what lights you up, what's important. And of course, exercise is super important for your brain and, and eating right is also important for your brain. Your brain is your most, um, one of your most nutrient hungry organs in your body. It uses about 20 to 25% of your calories every day. So taking care of your brain means taking care of your whole body. There certainly is a brain um, body connection. And also a lot of interesting things I talk about in Rock Your Midlife about the microbiome. I don't know if you have kind of come across some of the, the research, which is this, um, we have like a, 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 an organ that's not really part of our body. It weighs about four pounds and it's made up of microorganisms. So bacteria, viruses, fungi, parasites, a lot of them are very good for our health. They help with our digestion. They actually can help with your immune system and with your mood. And they, you know, you can build a healthy microbiome, but again, eating more of those plants, eating less sugar, having less alcohol, less additives, and then also eating what's called um, probiotics. So you're eating some healthy organisms yourself, so you can take a probiotic supplement, or you can also um, eat things like sauerkraut, um, kombucha, yogurt, which contain these microorganisms. So that's step four is reprogramming, working on your brain. Step five is about empowering yourself. So for me, you know, empowerment really starts with that step one, authenticity. So knowing like, this is who I am and this is this is what I'm meant to do in the world. It's all about having power from within. So often we look from power from without. So we look to other people, we look to, you know, our job or organizations to make us feel good. But empowerment is really drilling down and saying, what makes me happy? What do I want to do in the world? You know, what are my geniuses and what are my strengths? And also I combine in Rock Your Midlife, this idea of authenticity with the law of attraction, which is simply this idea that like attracts like. So the energy that you put out 
attracts energy to you. So if you are positive, if you're working on yourself, you're, you know, practicing that self-love and that self-compassion, you're going to attract, you know, opportunities and people in your life who are going to feed your soul and feed what you want to do in your next chapter. If you're, you know, walking around complaining and feeling bad about yourself and your life all the time, then, you know, that's where you're going to be stuck. And this doesn't mean that you need to be um, like be a Pollyanna and like difficult things happen. And we need to hold ourselves when we're sad, when we're grieving, when we're frustrating, but we need to not sort of push those emotions down, but really um, take care of the difficult emotions. And then we can sort of get to this neutral ground with things like gratitude. And then we can really work on more of those positive emotions like joy and happiness. And so that empowerment is some emotional um, up-leveling as well as really being yourself and putting yourself out in the world in the most powerful way you can. And then moving to step six. So I love step six because what happens is after uh, you've, do, you've done step one through five, you start to change. It's like you've been that caterpillar and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I'm coming out of my chrysalis. I'm the butterfly. My wings are drying. The only problem is the people in your life might see that and think that you're still the caterpillar. And you're like, no, no, I'm a butterfly. Can't you see? Like I'm colorful and I'm flying and I'm eating nectar. And so in this chapter, which is called Rehab Your Relationships, I give people three specific techniques to really um, work with the people in your life. So the first thing with that is really um, to ditch your, your people pleaser and your good girl. A lot of us have people pleasers. It kind of goes back to what I was saying before about um, early caregivers wanting everybody to like us. So really, you know, saying yes when you mean yes and no when you mean no, putting yourself first, it doesn't mean that you're selfish. It just means you've got to put on your own oxygen mask, right? Before you can support other people. Um, I teach people something called the um, nonviolent communication. So specific techniques to communicate with people, which really involves getting your needs met and then also setting boundaries. So really I have people go through an exercise where they create a personal bill of rights where they really decide this is what I stand for. This is my bottom line. And if you cross it, these are the consequences. And I think we don't do that a lot. I don't know how, again, how it is with men so much because I work mostly with women, but having a bill of rights of just deciding this is what I stand for, whether it's with work, whether it's you know uh, people that you're in intimate relationships with, but it's super important to get your needs met, to set boundaries and to really um, work on those relationships. I think, I think with me, well, I think with me, like you, you talked about men and I, I think the reality of it was that, um, I was so focused in one facet of my life that those relationships were gone. You know, the, any of them that I still had were the toxic ones, uh, that just seemed to cling on, uh, cause they'll cling on till the end. Uh, and I was like, okay, I gotta, I have to get rid of the toxic people in my life particularly the ones that I can, because there were some that I, I couldn't, because uh, they were like my, my boss. Um, <laughs> but, they were, you know, get rid of some toxic things and then start looking and seeking out the people that bring you joy, the people that you know are good people for you, the people that are going to support you. You know, Jim Rohn says you're the, the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And, it, you know, 15 years ago, if I would have put that list together, uh, wrong, wrong people, wrong, wrong people. And so now I make a point of spending the time, my time with the people that I 
I care about the most and I know care about me. And so they're lifting me up versus tearing me down all the time. And so, uh, you know, even as a guy, you might not think about it a lot, but if most of your time is spent with your drinking buddies at the bar after work, and you guys are just tearing down beers, buying each other rounds, and that's all good and fun, but that's your path. That's, that's who you're surrounding yourself with. And that's going to leave you stuck. So you've already done these things. You're trying to be this butterfly, maybe not a butterfly for a guy. Maybe we're moths. I don't know, but uh, (laughs) you've become something better than that. And it's time for you to move on. That's awesome that you did that. It's difficult though. I know myself um, before I made these changes, I left a 25 year marriage and substances were a part of our social life. And now I'm so much more judicious. I mean, I might drink occasionally socially, occasionally have a glass of wine, but you know, my, my, my new man in my life, my fiance, we practice Kundalini yoga together. We go cross country skiing. We uh, got a tandem bike and we have a tandem kayak. And so if you're, and I think that's a really, the, the relationship thing is so important because often when I start working with people, I'm sure you've um, noticed this too, Alan is that people are really scared. If I make these changes, what's it going to do for my relationships? You know, if I lose the weight, how am I going to go out to that restaurant and order things and, you know, and say, well, I don't really want to drink. I don't enjoy doing this anymore. Or, you know, what's going to happen with my, you know, primary relation, my marriage, if I lose weight and I get in shape and I change my lifestyle and my husband or wife stays the same, what's going to happen? Am I going to lose friends? And so that's a, that's a difficult question uh, that I think a lot of people, when they're sort of thinking, I, you know, and you know we're sort of at the beginning of the year, and people are thinking about change. And I think COVID's made people really reevaluate their lives a lot. Of thinking, gosh, if I change, what if? What if this happens? And what if that happens? And that's again that sort of I talk about this a lot, or in the before the steps, talking about getting unstuck and immunity to change. Often we have something deep seated. So and I'm sure it was hard for you to think about, gosh, if I change my life, if I if I'm going to get up at five o'clock in the morning and get to the gym, well, that means that I can't go out for those drinks with those guys. And if I say, gee, I really want to start finding new friends, what's going to happen with those relationships? So, but I know myself when I cleared away some of the old relationships, new relationships, there's space for new relationships. And there's lots of really amazing people out there who can support you and love you who want to have a healthy lifestyle. But it's, it's, there's a lot of fear, I think, around. And that's something that I also, when I work with people, Looking at this immunity to change, I've had a lot of clients who don't do the self-care because they want to be available 24-7 for the grandkids. And they think, well, if I join the gym or if I, you know, take that yoga class or that self-development thing, then I won't be available to babysit all the time. And they don't even realize that they've got this underlying belief, the feeling like, well, I I won't be needed then. So that's sometimes you have to really look very deep. Um, and I think this sort of this weight loss spiral keeps people in a very stuck place where they never have to look at what would happen if I really did change, what would really happen if I stopped dieting and I just said, you know what, I'm going to start focusing on my lifestyle and really make some, some deep changes. Let's, let's talk about the seventh step on this. And then I do want to jump in and talk a little bit more about fear because I, I see that a lot. Sure. The seventh step is enlightenment. So enlightenment spirituality is really all about, you know, connecting with your passion and purpose. And we're all here for a reason. And there's a lot of problems in the world. And so, you know, we all have talents and gifts to share with people. And 
So this is really all about how to connect with your soul and your spirit. You might you might want to rediscover you know religion that you experienced when you were younger or just experience a new spiritual path. So I give people a lot of specific things they can do to create a spiritual practice, to create a relationship with their soul. Like I, I like to say that you are a soul having a human experience. Maybe flip that around. So I'm thinking, yeah, I'm a human. I have a soul and I kind of go to church on Sundays and I experience it to see what is, you know, what's it like to connect with your spiritual self? I mean, for me, a lot of that is uh, doing various yoga practices, certainly being out in nature. Nothing to me connects me more with the, with all that is than just being outside and seeing, you know, the birds and the snow and the trees. So lots of specific things that people can do because I think when we get to be at midlife, you know, we're wiser and we want more of that type of connection. And hopefully we've created more space and time. And, you know, we know that um, so many people at midlife are, are quitting their jobs, right? They're just thinking about, gosh, you know, you, you had that same experience saying that just, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not making me happy. So the big piece of, of being happy is finding your passion and your purpose, connecting with things like gratitude. So I really dig deep into spirituality as well as sort of the, the positive psychology behind things people can do to really be happier, more joyful. Yeah. Now with fear, you, know, you had two acronyms, and I think this, this, these kind of sum it up of the kind of the two sides of this. And the first acronym was false evidence appearing real. And the, the second was face everything and rise. And, and, I, and the two sides that I see there is the first one is most of the fear we have is not rational. And it's more of like a worry, something like you said, the what if, what, what, what if this were to happen? And, and then you're afraid. It's like, well, I don't want that to happen. So I just won't do this. Or, or the other side of fear is just a point where you sit there and say, you know, I've, I've put up with being this way or being unhappy and I deserve more. And you talked in the book about how there was like a you of happiness down to midlife. And now we're in this, this, this bottom of, of the trough. And, and as soon as we recognize that, then the fear sh should start to dissipate because the opportunity, like I said, the opportunity to go back up the other side of that you of what we see over the course of, of most people, not everybody, but most people is that, that opportunity to find the same kind of joy we had when we were children. So can you talk a little bit about fear and, and how a little bit how we can overcome fear? That's a great question. Yeah, well, the first thing is to understand the neuroscience behind fear. So we have this lizard brain, which is our amygdala that's in the back of our brain. It's the primitive part of your brain that is there to protect you from danger. It doesn't care if you're happy. It doesn't care if you're fulfilled. All it wants to do is keep you from being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. So it's great if it's, you know, a hundred thousand years ago where, yeah, you could get eaten. You had to protect yourself. There was danger around every corner, but in today's world, most, if you're listening to this, you're not in any danger of getting eaten right now, right? Where you're perfectly safe, but we have to understand. Well, the, the lady at the PTA meeting might chew my <laughs> head off, but that's about as bad as it's going to yeah, get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we've got this part of our brain that um, is really trying to protect us. And then we've also got what's called the default mode network that runs down the center of our brain, which is constantly scanning the environment for what could go wrong in self-definition. So again, your brain's just looking around and this, this part of our brain evolved again, hundreds of thousands of years ago when we were in tribes 
there was a lot of social comparison where you had to figure out where do I fit? So maybe somebody was, you know, good at cooking and somebody's good at hunting and somebody's good at healing and somebody's good at, you know, creating clothes. Um, so we all had to sort of figure out where we fit, but now we've got this crazy social comparison where we literally can be online with millions of people comparing ourselves to other people. So we're constantly scanning the environment for what could go wrong. You know, my, you know, my check could bounce. I could, I could go, I could lose, you know, all my money or I could lose my job or I could lose my marriage. So we're constantly worrying about that, worrying about where do I fit in? What's my status? So the first thing is to really just call it out. You know, just fear is really in your mind. So what I like to say is name it, you tame it. Just say, this is just fear. This is just my brain. And a lot of times it shows up, the worry shows up in rumination, which rumination comes from the, the root of it is ruminants, which are, um, I live in Vermont. So I don't know, you probably don't have a lot of cows in Panama, but um, there's some, there's some, <laughs> yeah, but we, we've got goats and cows and sheep and ruminants chew their cud, right? They yeah. chew the grass and then they chew it again. So it's chewing things over and over in your mind. Again, the neuroscience, we do this because we think, if I think about my problems all the time, all the time, if I think about, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning and I'm worrying about like my boss and if I got, I, you know, didn't get this assignment in on time and what's going to happen to me, we think if we worry about it, we're going to solve it. But ironically, what happens is it keeps us stuck and out of problem solving mode because all we're doing is chewing the problem over and over again in our head. So the first thing is just to name it, just to call it out and say, this is just fear. It's just part of being human. Maybe giving yourself a little self-compassion because you're having this thought. Mindfulness can be really helpful, learning how to focus your thoughts, whether you know you start a meditation practice, just you just have to be long, just you know, watching your thoughts for five, 10 minutes a day or finding ways throughout the day to sort of focus on your breathing, calm yourself down. So the first thing is name it, you tame it. And then feel it, you heal it. So where does, where's fear showing up in my body? So emotions are felt experiences in your body. So often fear will show up. Maybe it's a tightness in your throat because you don't want to speak your truth, or you might feel it around your heart because it involves a relationship or often it's in our, our bellies, right? We're afraid. So name it, you tame it and just let it come and go. And then a couple other tricks that I like to use See if you can change fear into excitement. So fear and excitement or anxiety and excitement are very similar in terms of the physiology. So when we're excited or we're anxious, we, you might our pulse might go up, we might sweat, we might flush. But if we turn that into excitement, like when you're on a roller coaster, right? You're like, this is scary, but you know that you're safe. So see if you can just flip it around and say, you know what? Like for me, I love public speaking, but I'm also it also creates a lot of anxiety. So I turn it into excitement. I'm really excited to speak today, to share my truth and my passion for midlife. So change it in excitement if you can. And then I think my favorite technique is just focusing on breathing. So even the, the Navy SEALs use this um, four by four by four by four breathing. They call it box breathing. So what happens is when you breathe in for four, you hold it for four, exhale for four, hold for four, it calms down your physiology. So what happens is you turn off that fight and flight, that cortisol, and you fire up your rest and digest. So simply doing a few minutes of deep breathing or simply breathing in really long exhalation, the long Ah, exhalation really helps to, to 
help you reset your physiology. So there's so much that we can do. Listening to music is another powerful thing. So if we listen to music that either you could listen to Rocky, right? If you wanted to turn that, um, that uh, fear into excitement, or you might listen to something that kind of calms down your nervous system. That's really, really helpful. And essential oils are really great. So those are just a couple of techniques, but I talk about fear a lot in the book because frankly, it's something that keeps so many people from moving forward. If you look at the research, it's so interesting that um, children, you know, they have their fear that are animals, you know, they get over it, right? If you see, you know, an animal that's fearful, right? They go through their stress and then they reset. We don't do that as much at midlife, right? We stay in this chronic stressful situation, which of course is creating a ton of inflammation and is really at the root cause of so much of our health. So, you know, maybe for motivation, see if you can really work on your fear and anxiety and your chronic stress as a way to help yourself heal and feel great in the coming year. All right. Now, for a lot of us, it, this is never going to be a straight line. So even if we go through the steps and, you know, seems kind of linear because there's seven of them and some of them might take us a little longer. I think we all know that. Uh, but eventually, as with all things, issues are going to come up. And one of the things you said in the book that I thought was really interesting, because uh, I used to say this about my brother, that he was happily miserable, but you use the term comfortably uncomfortable. And, and that, that kind of touched me because it was kind of one of those moments that they're saying, you know, for a lot of us, we don't want to get outside our comfort zone. Uh, now, in the book, you had 21 tips for getting unstuck. Uh, can you just share some of your favorites? Uh, sure. Um, I would say that it's interesting. There's so many things you can do. You know, one of the greatest things to do is create a new habit. So if you take a look at the research on, you know, breaking habits, making habits, it's better to replace a habit that is not serving you with a new habit. So I'll give you an example. Let's say, for example, you know, every day at three o'clock, you get hungry, which is kind of your cue to eat. You go to the vending machine and you have a candy bar and a soda. Um, and then the reinforcement reward is you kind of get a little bit of a lift from your fatigue. So you could create a new habit. So instead of that habit, you can go ahead and stock up and carry and have snacks in your desk, things like, you know, um, healthy portions of nuts, fruit, maybe sugar-free yogurt, um, and, and water to stay hydrated. And so when three o'clock hits and you get that hunger sort of fatigue thing going on, instead of walking to the vending machine, you grab your healthy snack, you grab your water bottle and you go for a 10, 15 minute walk. And your reward is that you feel energized, you feel good, but it's not this kind of um, energy that comes from sort of the sugar caffeine high and then crashes. So creating a new habit is a really great thing to do. Another unstuck thing I love to do is declutter, declutter a drawer, declutter a closet, declutter your garage. It is so um, freeing and energizing to declutter some aspect of your life. And it creates space for something new. It creates a sense of accomplishment. I think we all love to do it. So just you know, put something on your calendar for some time that you're going to do a little bit of decluttering. Um, another thing is to just do something new. So go somewhere new, drive to a new place at work, read a new morning newspaper, make a new friend, just create some newness in your life, create a new hairstyle, change your hairstyle, change your hair color, wear a color you don't normally wear, but just doing anything new. I think, again, we're, we are creatures of habit. It's so interesting. When you look at the literature, something like 45% 
of the things we do every single day are automatic things like, you know, we tie our shoes, we make our coffee, we take our shower, either first thing in the morning or at the end of the day, you've got to shake it up and try something new. Um, I really also like rising with the sun, super energetic to really get into the circadian rhythms of where that you're, where you are living. So I get up usually with the sun. I love watching the sunset and the sun rise in the morning. Um, you actually have more energy when you're kind of are on those vibes with the sun. Um, so just really just trying to do some new things. And I give 21 tips in my book. So if you're feeling stuck, just do something new. Getting accountability buddy is really awesome as well. So having somebody who's also trying to make some changes in your life, um, learning something new. So as I, was, I think I was saying earlier in the episode, I just got myself a, a, um, a uh, ukulele. And so learning to play the ukulele, I'm creating those new things, those new brain neural connections in my mind, which are so awesome. So you know, Make a bucket list. That's another awesome thing to do. Make a bucket list. Actually, we don't even have to call it a bucket list. We can call it the next chapter list, right? So it's not about things I want to do before I leave the earth, but things that I really want to do in this next chapter. Um, I think we we have space and time. Kids are empty. You know, we're empty nests. Maybe we're downsizing a little bit from our work. We're downsizing our home, but don't just fill it up with the same old, same old. Do something new because there is really a million things to do in the world and everything is so accessible right now. Um, so get really conscious about it too. Maybe a little bit less television. I think it's so tempting to fill our days with TV. So maybe being a little more judicious with your media time and really picking something that you want to learn and do this year. Cool. I love all of those. <laughs> I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Uh, the first thing I would say, progress, not perfection. So we haven't really talked about perfectionism. I talk about it a lot in the book, Rock Your Midlife. But, you know, perfectionism will just kill any wellness strategy. Because let's say, for example, you know, you decide, you set this goal and you say, you know, I'm going to work out every single day or I am going to, you know, eat this perfect diet. I've got this, you know, diet plan. I'm going to follow it. If you are a perfectionist, if you mess up, what happens? You give up. You're just like, okay, I didn't do it right. I feel bad about myself. And I see this all the time with a lot of the people I work with are, you know, recovering chronic dieters. We see this, they go on these diets, they do it perfectly. You know, they fill out their, their journal, they do all the, all the things. And then all of a sudden they blow their diet. You know, they have one dinner out, or maybe they have a little bit of alcohol and inhibitions go down and they have slip up and then they go right back to the same old you know, crappy standard American diet. Same thing with workouts. You know, you miss a workout and then all of a sudden you miss two and then you've stopped working out completely. So focus on the progress that you're making. Focus on the fact that, you know, I'm going to just carry an apple in my bag. And when I need a snack, I'm going to eat that. Or I'm going to start a walking program and I'm going to walk for 25 minutes every day. Maybe you'll do 45. And I love this idea too of Set, you know, smaller goals. So say, you know, I'm going to just do three push-ups, And while you're down there, you, you'll do 10, but you've got to sort of start out with small things. I love, you're probably familiar with um, Mel Robbins, who talks about the five-second rule. Another great way to get over fear is just count to five and just do it. Do something small and focus on the progress you're making, not perfection. And when we're talking about goals, it's so important 
to set SMART goals, which I'm sure, Ellen, you help your people set SMART goals, which stands for um, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-sensitive. And these are things that you have control over. A lot of people set goals like, I'll lose 25 pounds. Well, that's not a SMART goal. And you, you know, don't have control over, but you have control over something like every day after lunch, I'm going to take a 20 minute walk or, you know, something I've been working on. One of, one of the things I struggle with is eating late at night. And my fiance and I are really trying hard to eat earlier in, in the day and just say, okay, we're going to not have anything um, after eight o'clock and I'd like to move it to seven, but, um, you know, setting a smart goal. So, so maybe even like three nights a week we're going to have dinner at seven o'clock and we're going to stop eating by eight o'clock. So set smart goals. Um, and then I would say a thing too is, and this is something that I focus so much on in my work and my book um, is have fun. Like we've got to get away from this punitive attitude around weight loss. When I started my career 30 years ago as a registered dietitian, people would come into my office and, you know, I would say, why are you here? And they said, well, my doctor told me I had to see you. And then I would ask them, so what did you have to eat last night? And they would say, well, you know, I knew I was coming in to see you. So I had a double, double stuffed crust pizza and ice cream or a steak. And they didn't want to be there. And they weren't at the stage of readiness to make change. And it was all because you've been bad. So now we're going to punish you by eating, you know, this diet that is this draconian 1200 calorie or 1600 calorie diet. And you're going to be miserable. Healthy eating is really fun. Like my partner is an amazing gardener and I'm so inspired by what he grows and what I can cook. And we love to, to work. I don't even want to call it working out. I mean, there's nothing we like better than getting on our tandem bike and going to the next island and biking for three or four hours. Yeah, we're exhausted, but it feels fabulous. I love doing yoga and I love lifting weights and I love eating healthy. So just get away from this attitude that, that being healthy is some punishment for, you know, your earlier sins in life. And I guess if I add a, add a fourth, no matter where you are at, if you are breathing more is going right than wrong. You have like 32 trillion cells and all they want to do is keep you alive. So thank your cells. I like the, the dog barking to emphasize that, right? Thank your cells, treat your body well, stop beating your body up and learn to love yourself and practice in self-compassion with my research really showed is that it really will help you with your body image. Um, focus on your function and feeling good. Don't worry so much about how you look. Um, I think we also need to focus too on, you can be sexy and beautiful. I'm over 60 and I feel more beautiful and sexier and healthier than I've ever felt in my life. I'm, I'm slowing down a bit, but I, I think I'm gorgeous and I love my life and I'm having so much fun. Thank you. Dr. Ellen, if someone wanted to learn more about you, learn more about the book, Rock Your Midlife, where would you like for me to send them? Just go to the midlifewhisperer.com um, and yeah, I'm easy to find. That's my website. And I'm the only midlife whisperer in the universe, as far as I know. Also, you can just go to Amazon and put in Rock Your Midlife and the book will come right up for you. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 525 and I'll be sure to have links there. Dr. Ellen, thank you for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you, Ellen. It's been such a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to more conversations in the future. Absolutely.
Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Cara Fitzgerald and discuss her book, Younger You, Reduce Your Bioage and Live Longer Better. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.